Testing one, two, one, two. It's your boy Chip G. I am here live on site in my dining room, you know, in the studio, getting it together. And I am excited for tonight because tonight is episode four of the In the Pocket with Chip G podcast. I am super excited to be here tonight. I get to sit down with a legend, a man who has toured the world, who has played with some of the greatest musicians and artists of our generation. Um, the theme of this podcast is in the pocket and being in the pocket means being in tempo and following the groove of instrumentation that you're performing. This podcast was created to provide information, history, and advice for up and coming musicians, background singers, songwriters, artists, producers, and actors. We want to inform you about what goes on in the industry on stage and backstage. We want to provide insight on how to get the gig, how to get the placement, how to land the role how to get inspiration to write the next hit. Our guests will provide advice on how to sustain a solid career in the arts with character and creativity and integrity. These successful creators will be giving their story to give to the next generation. They're gonna give the keys to success and that's what we wanna do. So let's get started. It's, it's time, I'm excited, let's get right to it. Hailing from the 215, Philly, Philadelphia, by way of ATL. That's right, I'm honored to sit down with this legend, a drum king, one of the kings of Philly, Mr. Little John Roberts. My boy John is a father, Emmy award-winning musician, producer, educator, sneaker enthusiast. He has a lot of heat <laughs> on his feet. Anytime you see him, he's got some dope shoes on, and he always uh, is prepared and ready for the gig. He has, a he has maintained uh, three, well, I should say three decades worth of uh, music. Wow three decades in the music business and uh, he looks so young. So you'll never know that he's been in, in, in the industry that long. This man is one of my greatest inspirations on, on drums and he's played with some of the biggest and recorded with some of the best names in pop, R&B, hip hop, jazz and gospel. Artists like Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, George Duke, Quincy Jones, Stevie Wonder, Earth, Wind & Fire and Prince. And like I said, he's maintained a successful career for three decades. He's gonna tell us all about it. And he's fresh from um, um, coming from a European tour. He just closed his semester as an adjunct professor at the historic Berklee College of Music. And I'm super excited and super humbled to have this legend, this legendary figure with me. I, I made this shirt in his honor. I, I honored some of my drum heroes. And his name, as you can see, is right on the shirt. Calvin Rogers, Aaron Teddy, Big Mike, Brian, Gerald, Nissan, Little John, Doobie, Gordon, and Rex. Those are some of the guys from my generation that I wanted to honor with that shirt. And that shirt is available. You can hit me up if you want to rock it. I'd love to see you representing for my drum heroes for the In the Pocket podcast with Chip G. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, episode four, Mr. Little John Roberts, my guy. Thank you, man, for doing this. Man, thank you for that intro, bro. That's, oh, man. You're, you're <laughs> deserving of it, man. You are so deserving of it. Um. You've, you've been in the game for a long time, and I don't want to keep saying that, but that's to be celebrated, right? Because, you know, music is fickle. You can come in the game, you can be hot one second, and then you can not. You can have skill, but not character to keep you in the game this long. So I want to salute you for that because you've been the blueprint for all of us for my generation coming up, like growing up in Connecticut. I'm from Connecticut, so you were in Philly. There was the, the legend, the urban myth of little John Roberts, right? We all came up in church as church musicians and we all, there was no internet. So we're all just hearing stories about these myth, mythological figures. 
these historic figures and we don't we've never seen them before. So by the finally by the time we get to see these people, you know, you're you're larger than life to us. So I remember being I had to be like. Oh, two and you were home and I know by then you had already moved to Atlanta, but oh, two, you were home for some reason and you were standing in the back of a church in Philly. And I had just finished playing with Youthful Praise with uh, J.J. Hairston and Youthful Praise. And you were there just chilling, you know, just kicking it. And I went up to you and I had a t- I had a T-shirt line idea that I ran by you. And I was like, yo, you know, if I gave you a shirt, would you wear it? And you was like, yeah, man, just send it to me. And that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> so as you can see, I'm still a T-shirt enthusiast. Did but, you ever um, send it to me? I never even, I did, I did the idea 10 years later. That's the crazy thing. Right? Oh, okay. So I, I was always have, you know, as a musician and creative, we always have these great ideas. And I was like, I always knew that I needed to get with prominent people that would help me promote the, the brand. So I was 20 though. I wasn't ready to do it then. And uh, I ended up doing it later, you know, in my thirties, but um, you were so kind and humble to me. And it was larger, li- larger than life experience to come up to you and for you to be that, that big, huge figure in my life for you to acknowledge me and, you know, be kind to me. And then fast forward to when I moved to Atlanta, you know, you're running the city and then you come into the church, you walk into the church I'm playing at and you sit in the back at Oasis and um, everybody's like, little John is here. And I'm like, Oh God, you know, like, you know, <laughs> let me make sure I straighten up and play this, play, play my part. But it was great. And then you acknowledged me after that. And I, I was so good to see you and you gave me props online. And it was, it was a dope experience. No matter what you've done, you've always come back and been humble and been able to show love to the homies coming up. And I just want to appreciate you for that. And thank you for that. And uh, not too many people, because people with your stature, some of them are jerks and some of them are unapproachable. And even to do this, right, you know, to come on here, we've met each other a couple of times, but for you to take time out of your night, you have all this music to learn, all these shows going on this weekend, but you gave me your time. And I, I'm super grateful to that. And super appreciative man. to you. For my that, pleasure. My pleasure, bro. And, and Chip, you're an amazing drummer. Oh, I mean, if, if people don't know, they need to find out. Oh, <laughs> but man. I know a lot of I know a lot of cats know. But the ones that don't know, y'all need to go ahead and research this man. Thank you, man. <laughs> that that you're going to make a 20 year old Chip cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful, man. Thank you so much. So let's get right into it. I don't want the time to get away from us. First question, where did the, the name Little John come from? Dad. Dad. Yep. So, of course, you're, are you junior? Yep. John okay, H. Roberts Sr. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So did people ever call you Little Lil Chip? Nope, because my dad was Kevin, so I'm just Kevin Jr., but he gave me the name Chip from birth. So I'm a chip off the old block, so that's how that, that's. Ah, okay, so Little Kevin then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and so the funny that's... thing is, you're not even short. That's the funny part. You're... <laughs> no, man, 6'2". And yeah. I, I, I tried to get rid of the little part, man. I just, I can't, it's, it's a brand at this point for me. So I Let's just go. turned 50 in March and I'm going to just be little John till I die, I guess. <laughs> Let's rock. I'm chip forever. Right. I, I'm still introducing my name as chip. Right. And I'm like, uh, I'm 42 years old and I'm still chip. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It sticks. And, and it's part of your legend. So I, I, I dig that. That's dope. So let's go. Uh, growing up in the two one five, how was it growing up in Philly? It's funny, you just said 215 and Spanky just texted me. Oh, man, I got questions <laughs> about Spanky later, too. <laughs> oh, man, Philly is a great town. I know, you, I mean, you've been there, so you know what it's like, the musicians and, you know, just the legacy and the history of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in Philly was one of the most amazing experiences I've had in my life. Um, I mean, like, 
Stephen Ford, my, my uncle Stephen Ford, like we all came up under him. Yeah. And like his church was like the Ford the Memorial. home of where everybody would, you know, learn their skills from. Cause I mean, there were a lot of churches in Philly, including my dad's church. Right. But we'd always sneak over to, to Ford Memorial and, and hang out with my uncle Steve and my uncle Andy. Yeah. And that was just a lesson in itself. Yeah. Hanging out with, with Uncle Steve, you know, um, as a young drummer, he took me in early and was like having me play on records and stuff like having me plan yeah. sessions with other churches. You know, you know, mm -hmm. those cats when they used to show up at your church and take over your, your job at, with yeah. the choir. Oh, of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was one of those guys. <laughs> and it was it was a thing. It was just like, man, we got to go do this session. And, you know, it's the rite of passage, though, right? We all I've gone through that. I just joking with Mike Clemens because. When I was in my early 20s, I would do the session. They would give me a couple songs, and then they would bring in the real drummer to come play the session. So <laughs> until right. you learn how to do it, you know? Right. So, so they, had to sit, they had to sit behind you while you were playing, and, you know, someone was pretty salty. And, oh, man. And then someone yeah. was just honored. They were just like, oh, man, he's playing cool. You know, it's going to be great, whatever. It definitely so keeps you about the game because I, I cried many tears <laughs> in them 13, yeah. 14, 15 year, age years. Hey, but we all had to start somewhere, too, because I was one of those cats that had to sit back and watch my uncles play. You know, every yeah. time I wanted to play, my, my uncle showed up and mm -hmm. it was like, ah, OK, let me take the back seat and just watch, you know. But slowly but surely, yeah, you know, I was practicing and practicing. The next thing you know, I, you know, yeah. started getting up there. Moving so then after up. a while, I, I could hold my own, you know. Yes, sir. I dig that. Uh, but it was great. Like church, growing up in church, everybody that, you know, knows that. That's where you get, that's your stomping ground. That's where you, you really put the time in early mm -hmm. and you mess up and you do good. You mess up, you know, you, you get praised, you get chastised, you know, mm -hmm. all those things in one. That's, that's all the things that make us who we are now, you know, just from that upbringing. You're a PK, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you had to do everything. You learned the whole business of, of ministry, right? Oh yeah. I yeah. was helping my dad change his clothes. I was taking his briefcase. Yeah. You know, once he was straight, I go outside, I go into the church, get on the drums, you know, right. that whole yep. thing, you the know, whole thing. I know all about it, bro. <laughs> I know all about it. So you were introduced to music. I guess you come from a musical family. Oh yeah. My mom, she's a classical pianist. My dad used to play bass with the Savettes in Philadelphia. They were a well-known uh, gospel group in Philly. He actually sang on one of those albums. Like, uh, I May Not Pass This Way Again is one of the songs he sang. And I remember the 45 that he had, you know, and I listened to it. Uh, but, yeah, he had a solo on one of those songs. But he played bass in that choir. Um, all my uncles played drums. Wow. So that was just a given that I had to play, you know, after hanging around them. So yeah. you chose drums from the influence of your uncle, right? Your uncle's playing? Absolutely, yeah. That's dope. So and my, you... one of my uncles, my uncle David, who um, actually died uh, a few years ago, I think 2019, I think he passed away in December. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, he was an amazing drummer. Like, just his swag, the way he played. Yeah. A lot of my style, I will say, started from him watching him. Like, just the way that I played, the way that yeah. I sat up and you know, the way that I position my drums, all that stuff, I f came from him. Yeah. Oh, she said she knows the Savettes. That's my Patricia. mom. Yeah, oh, that's my mom. <laughs> so then she might know my dad. 
I will never pass this way again. That song, she might know that song. My mom was a singer in a quartet in the quartet group back in the day, so she knows all that whole music scene. They traveled with Matthew Barber and all up and down the East Coast. So I'm sure oh, they were wow. at some concert or something together. Hey, mom, <laughs> I love right, your son. Thank oh, you for, for bringing him into the world. <laughs> My God, thank you. So you went to a prestigious high school, right? Tell me about yeah. Overbrook. Overbrook High School was like the music magnet school that everybody wanted to go to, but it was in competition with um, creative and performing arts. And okay. that was, you know, fame, the, yeah, the movie wow. fame, that all, that came from that, uh, that, that, uh, what do you call it? Rivalry? That school, you okay. know, like New York, but it was the New York fame that they did the movie over. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. But the Philly version of, of, of that fame, creative and performing arts was the one that Amir Questlove wow. went to Christian McBride went there, Joey DeFrancesco, mm-hmm. um, boys to men, wow. um, some of the roots. I think, uh, I think, um, black thought might've went there same wow. time with all of them too. So yeah, it was just, that was the one of the schools that everybody was going to, but I wanted to go to West Philly mm-hmm. because of the, my professor that was there, Dr. George Allen. I want, to go there specifically to, you know, learn and, and be mentored by him, which yeah. was the best decision that I made because, you know, if I went to creative and performing arts, who knows, I might've not gotten the same, I probably wouldn't have gotten the same experience because George Allen knew everybody in the industry. So that's, in. that's how I met Miles Davis. That's how I met Went Marcellus. That's how I met Sunra. I met, um, Ellis Marcellus, the whole El- Marcellus family came to the school with the big band and played. Like all of this stuff was happening when I was 15 years old. So hanging out with Miles, hanging out with Wenton. You know, Wenton took me in as a mentor once we met. Like he was like, all right, I'm taking him in as my little brother. Yeah. And then he mentored me for a long time, took me on the road for the first time. And then all of that stuff led up to the next phase, which was me graduating and going straight to Berkeley from from high school. Wow. So you were in a trio, right? At an early age as well. Like, a- yeah, Joey, Joey and Chris and myself, we were doing all the, uh, downbeat competitions. Mm-hmm. So the downbeat magazine had a competition, which I met a lot of cats from that competition, like Terry on gully, Phil Davis, Roy Hargrove, Phil Davis. Um, Keith, uh, Keith, um, Anderson sax player. Cause Keith and, Roy, they were like the duo, you know, that yeah. everybody was talking about, you know, they're like these two horn players. Oh my God. So they were from Dallas, you know, uh, they went to, um, uh, what was it? North, North Dallas or one of those schools there, that famous school there, like Sput and Michael yeah. league and all of them, right. all those guys went to after that generation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we were winning all those competitions. Miles took Joey and put him in his band um, and then me and Chris, we left to go to college. He went to the new school. I went to Berkeley. So we all kind of went separate ways and okay. our careers just went in different ways. You know, like I'm, I was doing more of the R&B and pop and hip hop mm-hmm. stuff. They were doing all the jazz stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's amazing. So did you have any other, it seems like from an early age, you were called to be a musician. Did you ever want to be anything else? If you I was a, a track runner. Was track. So you're into track and field yeah man i was a high jumper and a long jumper and sometimes they would pull me out to do like a four by four or four by eight hundred um i wasn't a fast sprinter but i was 
just fast enough to do like the relay and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I was a jumper, man. Like I was wow. a champion uh, high jumper. Wow. Like so you... I almost went to the TAC Nationals, which is like Junior Olympics. Before you go to the Olympics, like you, you know, you go to first level before you get to that. But if I pursued that, you know, more than I did drums, I probably would probably would have made it to the Olympics as a high jumper. Wow. That's something <laughs> nobody knows. See, I love that. I love that because And I haven't told too many people that too. So you yeah. So I got an exclusive. Thank you, man. That's <laughs> because that's something I want to know. Like, you know, I asked Jonathan, you know, did he want to be anything else? Mike Clemens said he wanted to be a barber, you know. Uh and then, you know, you could have been in the Olympics. That's amazing to know, man. Yeah, man. I was I was I had hops, bro. Yeah. <laughs> At what age? So like 15, 16, you were Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so I was you were playing dunking drum. at an early age too, right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. dunking was easy, but I didn't. Yeah. I played a little bit of basketball, but I really, you know, it wasn't my thing. Okay. Track. I was definitely into track because I go to I go to the Ambler Olympic Club is what it was called. Okay. After school, you know, this was a separate club that you had to join and you know pay dues, all that kind of stuff. But right. we got taught by Olympic uh, coaches, mm-hmm. and then so if you did well in that um, in that organization you easily could go straight to the next level because they had all the connections to the olympic trials and things like that so some of our people that were in our group at that time made it to the olympics wow that's amazing man wow yeah so growing up in philly right you went to overbrook and you have some uh, alumni that are pretty famous that went to that school as well uh will smith will chamberlain yeah uh, james and tume went there as well yeah. Juicy fruit. That's crazy. So Philly's a special city, right? Everybody knows, right? There's few cities like Chicago, New York, LA, Houston, Memphis, Detroit that just breed musicians, right? Mm-hmm. But your city is one of the most special, right? Philadelphia breeds special musicians. Can you talk about the music scene in Philly and like tell us about your family tree? Because I saw and I read somewhere else, like from your from you, you know. Talk about the people that came from your legacy or people that you grew up with. You know what I mean? That that you already mentioned Joey and Christian McBride. Now let's talk about the church scene or the guys that came came out of Philly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. First of all, let me let you know Malik Rose was in high school with me. Wow. Malik played Malik played in the in the um band with us. Wow. He played he played tuba. Wow. And then sometimes he would walk over and play in the percussion section like he played bass drum or something like that you know like little percussion stuff but malik we still friends now like he he lived in atlanta for a while after he left um san antonio was you know got got the ring with san antonio and all he's he's like a commentator now and he's helping Mm -hmm. out you know like a lot of cats do after they stop playing they Mm -hmm. you know mentor um other players and or they go on you know tnt and stuff like that so Shout out to Malik Rose. That's my boy. Um, he had a great career because he ended up playing, uh, I believe, uh, 12 or 13 seasons or something like that. Man, Malik was killing, bro. I was so happy for him because all of a sudden I'm like, what? Malik is playing with San Antonio. Like, yeah. Where did that come were- from? Because he was younger than me. So he was still at school when I graduated. And I found out that he just turned into this, you know, this star basketball player at Overbrook. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? And then. Later on, like years down the line, like when he was playing with San Antonio, he mm-hmm. sent a jersey to me, signed jersey through a friend of ours. And they said, Malik wanted me to get you this. And I looked at it and he just signed his name and said some things on it. I still got it. Wow. Um, and I was like, yo, this is crazy, Malik. <laughs> like, he's a star. <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, it was that's cool, amazing. though. 
But yeah, man, musicians in Philly, you, you asked me about um, Garfield Philly Williams. Tree, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Garfield Williams. You heard of Garfield Williams? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Garfield was like one of the session cats that was playing on a lot of the gospel records. Uh, Spike McRae, um, uh, Will, uh, Kennedy, Howard Kennedy. Okay. He played with um, Wilmington Chester Mass Choir. Wow. You know, all of these guys were like the session guys and, and yeah. like me and Brian Frazier and mm-hmm. um, uh, James Poyser and, um, yeah. you know, keep, that, that was that was a, like a our generation age group. And then there were like the younger ones under us, like Terry Tribbett, Ty Tribbett, mm-hmm. Eric Tribbett, yeah. Pudge, uh, uh, um, uh, oh my God, Spanky. All of those guys, they were like the younger ones under us, like the yeah. 10 years behind us or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it was just a circulation of all of these cats, Vidal and Dre. Um, wow. Yeah, because Vidal was playing at my uncle's church. He was playing at Steve's church. And um, wow. I remember like this one session we did with um, uh, the Tri-State, Tri-City Music and Art Seminar with Edwin Hawkins and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me and Vidal had done the session together. And it was this one song that Vidal was playing on. He was killing everybody's hype. The show, the song was going crazy. And Vidal dropped his stick Ooh. in the biggest part of the song. Like, you know, yeah, and yeah. I saw it and I ran real quick <laughs> and threw the stick back at him while he was playing. Wow. So he wouldn't miss the beat because yeah. it was like the high moment of this song and it was like the perfect take and everything. It was just like he was going to be playing with one stick and like it, it, they would have had to do it he again. saved so the record, yeah. I found, I grabbed that stick real quick, <laughs> threw it at him. He was like, thank you, big bro. <laughs> so yeah, my, my boy Vidal, man, man, that was my cat. He still is my cat. He's, you know, a great engineer with Jazzy mm-hmm. Jeff. At his studio, and of course, producer extraordinaire. He's written so much stuff with him and uh, Dre, who's also a, a dope drummer as well. Yeah, he did some records with us as well with the choirs that we were playing with. One main choir that I was playing with back in Philly was Jehovah Chosen. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if people know about that record, it's like man, it's, we, it was ahead of its time. Like Absolutely. even right before Ty Trippett and his mm-hmm. choir came out. Jehovah Chosen was doing a lot of, you know, like different kind of stuff, like, you know, hipper, young hip hop mixed with jazz. Like we played everything and all the cats and the dopest cats in Philly were playing on that record, like James and Mm -hmm. uh, Terry Tribbett and, you know, the list goes on. So uh, you mentioned Brian Fraser Moore. He does he he's right behind us, behind you in age. Right. So did you have any opportunities to give him exposure or spank or how did, how did these Philly guys cut their teeth under you? Uh, well, Spanky for one thing used to come to my house. So I used to teach him in my basement. Uh, he was about maybe 12 back then. Um, Brian, me and Brian met from our churches. Like our churches used to fellowship a lot. And I remember the first time I met Brian, he came in cause his choir was getting ready to sing and I got up off the drums. He sat down and he started playing. I was just like, who is this guy? He's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Brian was nice, man. Like back since since the gospel days and, you know, church days, like Brian was always nice. And I was like, I like this guy, you know, like it was like my counterpart, you know, both had different styles and everything, but you know, we immediately 
you know, became friends once we heard each other play. And I was just like a, a mutual respect for each other. Yeah. And all through the years, you know, like I went on and, and moved out of the gospel world and started playing jazz and, and yeah. doing all the other stuff. And, you know, Brian was like slowly but surely like following my, my uh, uh, I don't want to say path, but he was like right behind me doing things as well. Like, you know, once I hit with Janet, he started playing with Usher and, you know, yeah. you got Leah and things like that. And we were on tour together on Janet's second tour. You wow. know, Usher was opening up for, yeah. for Janet on the Velvet Rope tour. So every night we're just like, yep, let's yeah. go, you know, and it was, it was a mutual and friend, uh, competition, you know, it was yeah. very com camaraderie, you know, if you want to call it. And, Absolutely. you know, we weren't trying to like kill each other every night. It was just like, we were having fun. It was, yeah. we were just happy to be playing on the same tour together. So I watch him mm -hmm. and then I go and he watched me, you know, do my show. So, um, and it, I've just been proud of his success you know playing with all the people he's played with and then after i couldn't play with janet anymore i told him i'm like yo y'all should just call brian he already knows the, a lot of the music because he's been out with us i didn't know later on that you know until later on that he had to audition but i had already told him like y'all don't even have to audition him. <laughs> let him do it you know he but i it. guess they took him through the ropes or whatever but he still you know got hired to do it so that was good and, um, you know, we just, we pass the baton with each other. All of us yeah. do it. You know, if one guy can't do it, it goes on to the other guy and, you know, vice mm -hmm. versa. That's amazing. You guys have a sound, right? Everybody is from Philly and they have that Philly sound. Um, who created the drag, the Philly drag? You know, how did that come about? Was that James? Was that you? Like, how did that begin? Um, I mean, that's a combination of like the Neo Soul stuff that came yeah. out. Um, we just all, we had a certain groove, I don't know, yeah. almost like DC with, with mm -hmm. the go-go players, you know, yeah. the go-go drummers, they have a certain style. Mm -hmm. The Chicago guys got a certain style. The LA guys got a certain style. It's Connecticut, mm -hmm. like everybody's just got their own thing. And it's just, I think it just comes from just all of us being around each other all the time. And it's like, we just taking on what the other guy might be doing, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say I started anything. You can yeah. ask the other guys and they okay. can tell you whatever. But I mean, I was doing a lot of the stuff around the city, you know, at that time. It was really a lot between me and Brian. Yeah. Um, you know, if I wasn't doing it or if he wasn't doing it, it was like either one of us. And then it's, it went from there, you know, whoever yeah, else yeah. was in line. But Questlove, you know, him being like the best hip hop drummer mm -hmm. in the world as right. well as in Philly, you know, like we all looked up to Quest because of his style, like, you know, no, he wasn't chopping and all that kind of stuff, but groove all day yeah, long. All like, day. I mean, NPC sounding. And we were, a lot of us were trying to emulate that as well. Like, so we were incorporating that into our style as well as like the Chick Corea stuff that all of us was listening to. And, mm -hmm. you know, then I started branching out, listening to Elvin Jones and Tony Williams and all like that. So, yeah. I, I, it's funny because me and Chris Dave had met around that same time period. Like, you know, the, the gospel musicians going to the secular world, yeah, just yeah. like Gerald Hayward as well. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we were all like, you know, kind of like making a transition around the yes. same time. You know, Gerald was probably the first one that mm -hmm. actually came out as a, a secular drummer first. Right. You know, he was playing with 
uh, Black Street and yeah. uh, Mary, Mary and all right. that stuff at the time. He, you Those know, early he 90s, going, right? Those early 90s yeah. times, yeah. Yeah, so it was a lot of the stuff happening, but he was one of the first people that I can remember that came from the church and then, like, you know, we all knew him playing with Hezekiah Walker and, you know, if Gerald showed up in any church, everybody would just be like, Gerald's here, yeah, you know? Exactly, right. <laughs> he showed right. with his with his piccolo inside of his Gucci bag, you know? <laughs> Yo, so flashy okay. back in the day. I remember oh, yeah. those it was days. New York. It was the New York Absolutely. thing. You know, he had the swag. He come walking in like, oh, Gerald's here. So everybody stands behind the drum set. You know, that whole thing. That I miss that era, do. man. I miss it so much. Um, oh, it's it was now. a you vibe. Can't even, you it can't even get to the stage now in church because everything is produced. But right, right. I, I, mean, I miss those Jeff vibes. Davis, you know, rest in peace to Jeff Davis. That's one yes. of my big bros, too. Absolutely. You know, between him and Gerald, like those two were, were very influential on the rest of us mm -hmm. as far as like doing the next thing outside of playing in church. You know, Jeff was doing sessions with, with Stan, everybody, right? like yeah. from church, gospel music shop, workshops, you know, then I saw him playing with Phyllis Hyman. Like yeah. I, when I went to Berkeley, the first year I went to Berkeley, they came to the BPC, the Berkeley Performing Arts Center, and he was playing with, uh, with, um, uh, Phyllis Hyman, right? Phyllis Hyman and my uncle. Jonathan DeBose was on that gig too. Exactly. Jonathan was on that gig too, but yep. Steve Ford was DMD. Wow. So that's why all of them were on the gig. It was like yeah. he took some of the church cats and moved yeah. them over to, to her, her gig. And man, they were smashing. Oh my God. I was so proud. Like, you know, that's my uncle. That's my yeah, big bro. Yeah. All of them, you know, because. You know, I was at school and everybody was like, how do y'all, how do you know all these people? I'm like, Philly, yo, Philly. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, around that same time, I was working with Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Wow. So I was going back and forth from Berkeley back to Philly, record, you know, with them and then do some shows with them. Did By you know them, just know them from home? Did you know Jeff from, yeah. from being in Philly? Wow. Yeah. So I was, my cousin was actually producing with Jeff who is uh, Craig King. Craig lives in Atlanta now too. Great producer, great keyboard player. Mm -hmm. He's worked with a lot of people. And um, he was in the studio with Jeff at the time doing a lot of production. James also came in right behind him too and started you know, uh, acting as a producer as well. I started bringing a lot of the, the live musicians to Jeff's studio. Okay. Jeff was really, they were all just kind of like production guys, you know? They weren't doing really a lot of live band stuff yet. So I, you know, I bring all the cats down. We do jam sessions and stuff like that at the studio and Jeff would record it. And he was like, man, we gotta, I wanna do some live stuff, you know, whatever. So, uh, you know, you had all um, Keith Pelzer, um, uh, who are all the guys that was coming in around that time? Of course, Brian, uh, Eric Trivet, um, uh, who else was there? It was touch. It was called a touch of jazz. Okay. So all of us were, you know, slowly but surely making our way into the production with Jazzy Jeff. And, um, yeah. you know, we were the first people to do like the live band uh, recordings with him. Like I want to rock right now. Yeah. Uh, that's on Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince uh, Code Red album. Um, and then that same year after or a little bit after we did the American Music Awards. Wow. And that's where that's, I was doing the stand-up drum set. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So mm -hmm. from what year is that? Like early 90s? That was 94 when 94. we did American Music. So I had already moved to Atlanta by then. Okay. That was my so, first year in Atlanta. Couple years at Berkeley. How was that experience? Quickly. That was great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
honestly say I learned a lot outside of the school um, just because of all the great musicians that were there. Um, so my focus was a little different. Like I was trying to connect with as many players as possible. I wasn't really thinking as much about the school, yeah, you yeah. know, at that time. Cause I was like, yeah, Berkeley's cool, but these cats, these bad cats around here, like I want to play with them and record yeah. with them. So my, my whole thought process was different. I wouldn't even go into my, my drum instructor for, you know, my <laughs> private instruction classes. Yeah. I was really just, I was doing my own thing, you know, for Networking. the two years that I was there, yeah. I went to some classes, you know, I was really like that kid that was like, I see a bigger picture already yeah. and this isn't it, you know? You had surpassed it already, right? Your mindset was already out there. You had a taste of what the world was. I was oh. like, I want to be on tour now. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's and you were ready now. I mean, I was, and I was already, you know, going back and forth on the road. So from the school, I was like, I was always gone, you know. Um, Abe LaBoreal was there, Abe LaBoreal Jr. Like me and him were just, it was like, if Abe didn't do whatever it was, they called me. You know, I was, I was second string. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cause okay. Abe, Abe had already made his mark at the school. So he did all the big concerts that they called people for the singer showcases and all mm -hmm. that stuff, the big things, you know, in the BPC. And if Abe couldn't do it, because he might have been on the road somewhere, you know, with his dad or something, they called me after that. <laughs> wow. But it was cool hanging out with Abe, watching him, watching his process as a drummer, you mm -hmm. know, because he, he played everything. He played rock, he played jazz, he, you know, he could play some funk. Um, and I just kind of mirrored Abe for a while, just kind of followed him around. Just He read really well. So yeah. some of the times he would call me in to fill in for him and I had to read the charts that he was reading. Yeah. And I wasn't on the same level of reading as he was. So I was gotcha. just like, oh my God, I got to get my reading up, you know, yeah. which made me push to, you know, learning how to read better from yeah. that experience, you know, just so That's I could keep up. That's so cool. Um, so from uh, Boston, you moved to Atlanta. You make the decision to move to Atlanta. Why Atlanta? Man, I knew nothing about Atlanta at the time, but um, I actually moved to Birmingham, Alabama first. I was with Eric Essex, who's a guitar player from Birmingham. Everybody knows him. We did a record in, in, in uh, Boston while we were all at school. He graduated and he was like, man, I'm going back to Birmingham. I know you kind of have an idea that you want to move on and, you know, tour and play and stuff. He was like, well, let me know if you want to come over to Birmingham and, and perform, you know, live and do some shows in different cities, maybe in the region or maybe outside of the region. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to go. So here's a perfect time, perfect way for me to roll out. So we yeah. got in a van. We drove to Birmingham from Boston. Mm -hmm. I took everything with me, my drums, <laughs> my clothes, you know, I ain't have a whole lot. So, yeah, right. <laughs> But uh, what I did have, I took with me, stayed in Birmingham, played with Eric around the city and played, you know, some shows outside of the city and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we had a show in Atlanta. Wow. And I was like, Atlanta, Georgia, like I knew nothing about Atlanta. I was just, right. I knew nothing about Birmingham. I was yeah. coming from East Coast, yeah. Philly hat, you know, right. I was just, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm from up north, you know, like, coming exactly. to the south, you know, just that yeah. whole vibe. Um, when we played in Atlanta, I was like, yo, this city <laughs> is cool. I like it's the vibe, vibe right? here. Yeah. I met this cat, Jason Orr. He came mm -hmm. to the show and um, 
you know, he's from here. He knows the whole city and everything. Like, he's like, man, just come hang out, man. Check out the city. I'll show you around. You know, you can see if you like it, you know. And so I would come down and visit for a little while. And I'd stay at his place. We'd go out at night. He'd show me the night scene and, you know, just what Atlanta was offering at the time. Mm -hmm. The underground house stuff. And I just got a chance to see, like, Atlanta for what it really was. Like, the the from a native's uh, uh, perspective, not not from a tourist, you know, perspective, but from somebody that lived here and was from here. And I was like, okay, yeah. I'm moving here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the music scene that I saw, it was it was a cool music scene. Everybody was experimenting, you know. Um, I think Outcast was just coming out, so they were they were getting big. Source Awards time, right? Huh? The Source Awards time where the South got something to say, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Goody Mob was just coming out, you know. Mm-hmm. I met um a lot of people from LaFace Records. Mm. Uh, Shanti Dodds, who's still my friend now, shout out to Shanti. She was working with L.A. Reed. I met L.A. Reed through her. He's um, a drummer as well, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of these things was just connecting dots for me. And when when it was time that I moved over here, immediately I went to work. I was just like, yeah. I'm putting stuff together. I'm playing shows like underground stuff. I'm playing at Teddy's Live at the mm-hmm. Underground. You know, it was one of my first gigs. I don't, I don't, oh, I played there with Eric first, actually. We played there and he would come back and we'd do some more shows there. And then some of the cats that I met here, Sonny Emery, I had, I had already met Sonny Emery mm-hmm. in Philly when I was 16. He was there playing with Dave Sanborn one day and I went up to their sound check and, and walked up to him on stage and, and just talked to him while he was wow. sound checking. That's cool. <laughs> and we became cool after that. As soon as I moved here, matter of fact, uh, Sonny invited me to come down to his drum clinic that he was doing at, at his old school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went down there. He was like, you want to play? You want to play a song, you know, in front of everybody? I was like, sure, you know. Yeah. So he called me up. He's like, we got this young drummer from Philly that I've known, you know. He lives here now. Little John Roberts, I'm going to let him play. You know, I still got the videotape of it, actually. It's crazy. <laughs> nice. um, I need to transfer that because it's, right. it's on VHS. And... um I played a song with Phil Davis was playing keys and Derek Scott, guitar player. Like a lot of the, like the ATL A-list musicians was there that night. Um, uh, Tony Cunningham was playing bass. Um, I don't know if you guys know him, but I haven't seen him in a while, but he's, a lot of these cats have been on the scene for a long time doing everything. So um, that opened some doors for me because everybody got to see you know, who I was for the first time in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but oh yeah, so I'm around the city starting stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm like, okay, I see there's a void here. I'm about to like do my Philly thing in Atlanta, you know? Right. Um, and I found cats that I wanted to put as a band and I formed my band, The Chronicle. Yeah. And then I found a spot where we could play every week. They said, man, we'd love for you guys to play here or whatever. Every Thursday night, we were at the Yin Yang Cafe. Wow. Did you ever make it to that? Were you I here then? I heard about it. I've never been there, though. When did you move to Atlanta? Oh, six years ago. Oh, six man. You missed ago. you missed the 90s. But I was like, always whoop. down here. I just wasn't there in the 90s. I was a little too young for that one, but I came around right after that. Okay, so anybody that knows about Atlanta from in the 90s knows mm-hmm. like it was a vibe. It was yeah. a thing going on. And I started this vibe at the, at the Yin Yang, and 
that was a spot where a lot of people came and sat in with us and was working things out, trying things out. Anthony David, India Ivory, you know, before they were anybody, you know, this yeah. is like people like getting the getting to figure themselves right. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and we had a chance to we had a place that we could practice and you know get our thing together as well. We were playing hip hop music mixed with jazz and mm-hmm. whatever. Like it it was just a uh, a jambalaya of music that we were doing at that spot. So everybody was coming there every week, you know? Yeah, that's amazing because those are times that people never forget. Those are stories that you'll never forget. And, like, you established the culture. You brought your sound, your sound and your style down here, and then you formed a team, you know, and just made it happen. That's super crazy. So how did All you the get- church boys, all the church boys were sneaking down there, like Trey Gilbert and a yeah. bunch of them. <laughs> I mean, he'll tell you the story. If you ever talk to Trey, he'll tell you, like, man, we used to sneak down there after church, yeah. you know, and try to come in there and see what they were doing, and they go back to church and start playing the stuff we were playing. <laughs> that's all of our story, man. That's all of our story. You know, I had a sheltered upbringing, and I couldn't really listen to that stuff, but any chance I got, if I could listen to something and, and pull from it, I would. So that that's cool. So you move to Atlanta, you make a name for yourself. Um, you start playing for other artists, and, and you started your band. When do you start touring? Uh, the first tour that I did was Dion Farris. Okay. And that was like a 12 passenger van type deal. Mm-hmm. She was just coming out like with, well, she had already been singing with Arrested Development. So everybody knew her from, won't you help me? Won't you help me understand? <laughs> like everybody knew her from that. And then she came out with her own album. Um, Randy Jackson was, you know, she was under that whole umbrella with, was it Sony or something like that, maybe? Okay. Um, so we went out to promote her record. Next thing you know, while we're out on the road, I get a call to go out with Janet. Wow. <laughs> and that was that same year that we were out with her. Um, so who found you? Who who put you on? Who called you for, for that? For Janet? Yes. Well, it was a, a combination of a bunch of musicians that I was working with at the time. Sam Sims, mm-hmm. bass player. Um uh, uh, um, all of them spoke about me. Yeah. Daryl Smith, Sonny Emery, Omar Hakeem even vouched for me because um, we had met at a certain time in Atlanta before all of that too. He came down for PASIC one night wow. and uh, and I met him and we became good friends. He came to see me play one night and I didn't know he was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the Chronicle was playing at this funk jazz event, you know, mm-hmm. down Auburn Avenue. The Escovitos came that night as well. They all was hearing about the band. So they, yeah. you know, and they heard about me. And Omar came with my buddy, Ronnie Garrett, mm-hmm. you know, and Ronnie is another person that was talking about me to other people. So it was all word of mouth with a lot of yeah. things. Cause like you said, we didn't have social media and things no. like that back then. It was like talk and some people had VHS tapes and stuff or a little uh, camcorder stuff or whatever of us playing. Yeah. And you know, PASIC was that week. So I went to PASIC the next day and Peter, Papa Escovito called me up to sit in with them as uh, Sheila's dad. Yeah. I came up there, played with the band. I go sit down and then he says, and we got Omar Hakeem in the house too. Come on up, Omar, play. I was like, <laughs> my Absolutely. idol. This yeah. is my biggest idol. You yeah. know, somebody that I patterned a lot of my style after. Mm-hmm. between Dennis Chambers and Omar and you know like Omar was the main guy that that's just 
Yeah. That was the guy that I wanted to play like. You know, I yes. set my drums up like him. Yeah. I was playing Pearl. I can you see know, that too. Everything that Omar did, I wanted to do. You know, right. I got an old picture I'm going to show you. Okay. When we first met, uh, my girlfriend at the time snapped a shot of us while we were talking. And I'm going to okay. show you that. I'm going to text it to you. Okay. Um, but we became cool after that, man. He came up right after me on the, on the drum set. We shook hands. He was, I was like, Hey, Omar, he was like, man, you sound good, man. Let's talk later. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, my God. So since that day on, me and Omar had gotten close. And I went to New York to hang out with him. And uh, while I was at his house, they called him. Coincidentally, they called him and was like, Omar, um, there's this cat named Lil John, you know, that everybody's talking about. We want to know, you know, what do you think about him and all like that. I don't even know if they knew that we knew each other or whatever. Yeah. Maybe. It, I mean, this was a, a, a tight clique of musicians, the A-list musicians that knew each other. Rex Salas, Sam, you know, all these people, Daryl Smith, Ronnie Garrett, all of them knew each other. Yeah. And so maybe somebody said, you know, hey, Omar knows Lil John or whatever. So they call, he calls him while I'm at his house. Wow. <laughs> I was asleep. I went... I had, you know, went to the room, slept for a little while. We, you know, I was a little tired. I got up, I came down to the kitchen and Omar was like, man, I just got finished talking to um, Janet's music director. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you going to do it? Like, wow. <laughs> you going to do the tour? It was like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. They called me to ask about you. Whoa. And I was like, really? <laughs> he was like, yeah, man, I just told him they need to get you, man. You what ready? age were you, are you at this time? I was 23. 23. He, he got was the like, biggest yeah, man. Life. Just, he was like, you, you're ready. You should, you should do this gig. And I told them that they should hire you, you know, after everybody, all the other cats had spoken highly of me too. So Rex Salas was like, all right, Omar says he's cool. So he's, we going to pull him in. And how long did you do that gig? How many years? 25 years. 25 years. Off and on, 25 years. Out. You know, like Brian did all for you tour. Uh, and I couldn't do all for you tour because I had committed to George Duke's tour mm. like a few weeks before they called me yeah. about that next tour. Cause I did the Janet tour first, which was 95, 94, 95. That's the epic, uh, album cover, right? With the hands, right? Yep. The Janet tour. And nope, not too many that. people saw, knew that or saw anything from that. Cause there was no way to, yeah. you know, film it or anything like that. My girl at the time, like I said, she videoed some of it on my birthday mm-hmm. one day. I have, you know, some clips of that. Yeah. But other than that, if you didn't see it, like, from MTV, because MTV was uh, um, capturing some other stuff, they, yeah. but they wouldn't put the whole show out there, so you wouldn't have known it. I was playing. Wow. The first time they covered it, Jonathan Moffat was playing. Wow. So, you know, it just moved on to the second half of the tour, and that's when I came in. Wow. Um, but nobody so you, knew you that. You came after Sugarfoot. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he did the. Who was Michael uh, Jackson's drummer? He did the, drummer. Yeah, he did the U.S. tour. He did the U.S. leg, and then they took a break and they were getting ready to go overseas and start in Australia. And that's when they needed another drummer. So you know, I had to come in and learn all the stuff that Moffat was playing. <laughs> I had to learn electronics. Yeah, that's my first time learning triggers and all that stuff because mm-hmm. that was kind of next level. Like nobody was doing that. Like no. like they like Jonathan was with Janet. You had to play triggers for that gig. So we had racks and stuff of, of mm-hmm. sounds and stuff behind us. Now we don't need none of that stuff. No, but no. we it's have racks with, you know, um, 
S1000s and yep. stuff like that with the floppy disk, you know. Yes. And we were using um, a drum cat. I was using a drum cat and I had triggers on the kick and snare and uh, maybe some, you know, little poles with the extra mm-hmm. sounds on the, on the pads. But that was the first, my first experience of using triggers was that. Bro, we're going to have to do part two because I know you have to go. But I we need, definitely got to do part two. I know we got to do part two because I didn't even scratch the surface of the things I wanted to ask you. Um, give me the the you did Janet for twenty five years. You played on that you know off and on. That was an amazing it's amazing experience. And then you went off to do amazing other things. Um, give me the Michael Jackson story. Um, how you had an opportunity to work with Mike? So I went to his house, his music director's house, Brad Buxter, um, who also knew. All the same people. All of these click of musicians that I'm talking about yeah. did all the gigs. Don Boyer, all those guys. Like Don Boyer was Michael's bass player, and I looked at Don Boyer like a star on his own. I was like, like that's the seven foot dude, you know, yeah. playing behind Michael with a Ken Smith with yeah. his hair, you know, the mohawk hair. Yes. And all. I was just like, these guys were like the stars to me, you know. Right just as much as Michael and or Janet or any of them, like mm-hmm. the Rhythm Nation band, like Chucky Booker and DOA and Derek Organ and uh, Tommy Organ, all those guys, I, we were looking at them like, <gasps> you know, like, yeah. man, we were all trying to be like them. So Brad Buxter, uh, I don't remember how I met Brad, but th- this is what I got to say. A lot of the jazz musicians at the time were playing the pop gigs too. Okay. So, I mean, and when I say jazz, more like the contemporary stuff, like mm-hmm. George Howard, George Duke, yeah. uh, Grover Washington, all of those guys that were playing those kind of gigs back then, real funky jazz stuff. Mm-hmm. Those guys were the ones that was moving over and playing with Janet and playing with Madonna and all, you know, yeah. like they would call all of these guys to, you know, be in the band. And Omar Hakim as well, like, you know, he was playing, Omar would play with Sting, he would play mm. with what. Omar had played with Weather Report before any of the pop stuff. Like, yeah. he did a lot of stuff. Um, uh, uh, um, what's that major song? Oh, Chic. Yeah. You know, he was playing with Nile Rodgers and stuff. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of those records, you know. Yeah. Um, so, as much as they were doing the studio work, they were doing the live stuff with contemporary jazz and all. And they played the pop stuff. So, I know I met Brad through one of the guys in, in Janet's band or whatever. So Brad hits me up and is like, Michael has a song I want to see if you can play on. And, you know, if you come over to the house, I was going to L.A. a lot doing records at that time. Okay. And I think that's what kind of started the whole thing. And he was like, come on over, you know, I want there's a track that I think would be great, you know, for you to play on for Michael. So I go over there. He's playing the stuff for me. I'm like, man, this percussion is killing, you know. I'm like, who's that playing percussion? Is that Polino? Is that Louis Conte or whatever? He's like, no, nah, that's Michael. I'm like, huh? <laughs> what? Michael's beatboxing that's all the percussion parts, like the shakers, like everything that was on there, he did it with his mouth. I was right. like, wow. And they left it or they had to reprogram it? <laughs> no, nah, I played on top of it. Okay. Oh. <laughs> that was my click track. It was like, you know, you're going to play along to this. And I, I, I just thought it was like, Polina da Costa, somebody that played the percussion parts, because all of them play on all the records, course, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And um, they're like, "No, nah, that's Michael doing it with his mouth." I was like, "Oh, so I was floored before Whoa. I even got a chance to play on the song." 
Um, and then Michael, they're like, oh, we're going to, um, Michael's going to, Michael's in New York. So he's going to check in with us on, on a satellite. Like he had a video thing set up. So I, he via could see satellite. Me. Remember that used to be the thing via satellite. Wow. Right. So he was watching me from New York and I could see him from LA. And so he was just like, just do whatever you feel. It was like, Really? I'm like, what do you want me to play? Like, I was real professional, you know, about it. He knew you from Janet, right? He knew you from being with Janet, right? Right. Okay. So he knew you were the real deal. And that's what all led up to the next thing, too. After I played on this song, which I never got a chance to hear, I think it was (sighs) something for Korea. You know, Michael was doing a lot of different projects to help people raise money in different countries and stuff. So this one song that we did, it sounded like like a We Are of the World-ish kind of thing, like, but it was... You know, his version for Korea. Mm-hmm. And nice groove from what I remember. And, um, you know, the first take, they loved the first take. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, no, I got I to <laughs> do this again. Like, I probably did about four or five takes. Right. And they were just like, okay, just do, you know, whatever you need to do. You know, they were already <laughs> sold on the first take. They were sold on the first take. <laughs> One take but I'm take. trying to make it like perfect. I'm like, right. no, no, no. I got to make sure this, before I leave here, this yeah. got to be my best work with Michael. You know, it's yeah, Michael yeah. Jackson. So um, I leave there. And like maybe later on that year or a uh, year later, something like that, um, he calls me, Brad calls me and is like, John, Michael's on the phone. Uh, we want to see if you would would like to come out with us on um, this Invincible tour, which the Invincible record. Um, and that was 2000, I think. It was the year that uh, 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. So that never went out. They did a few dates. Sam was playing bass. Samson mm. played bass on that, on that. They did, like, some spot dates. Okay. Um, so I didn't make that because I had told Michael that – I was working on my band. I was working on the Chronicles record at that time. Wow. We okay. were we were signed to Jermaine Dupree's one of his uh side labels called okay. Anunnaki. And I felt like I can't leave my band hanging. Like, you yeah. know, I can't just roll. Cause I was already leaving the band a lot. Like yeah. I had Rick Jordan under me, like uh that was like my little brother back then, mm-hmm. um, playing a lot of the stuff when I wasn't there. So he was filling in for me. And I just felt bad. I was like, man, this is my band and I'm not even there. Yeah. So once we signed with Jermaine, I was like, all right, I'm going to stay and, Lock in and, and just finish this yeah, yeah. as the leader, you know. Yeah. So I told Michael what the deal was. He was like, I totally understand. Congratulations. I'm glad you're doing something on your own. You know, <laughs> that like, is crazy. And I'm in the car. I, I was in the car. I was in my car talking in on my cell phone because we had. Like, the big, yeah. the big ones. That the big the ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't a big. It was probably a flip by then. Oh, the flip by then. Okay. What <laughs> yeah. year is this now? This is two thousand. Two thousand. Oh yeah. So yeah, we had the Nokia phones yeah. and all that stuff by <laughs> the then. The battery never died, right? It just right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. So I'm sitting in the car. I'm just like, I can't believe I'm saying no to him right now. Like, you I mean, wow. Is this something Michael I could? No. If if there's something that I could do to like to make this happen, like, what can I do? I just I let it, I just let it go. And I was like, man, I got to keep, you know, I got to keep my word with my band. So that's wow. how that happened. Those are, those are those uh, PK principles being honorable that your parents raised you with. Loyalty, not Loyalty, knowing that yeah. I could have done, I could have done both things. You absolutely could have done both. <laughs> and then I think I told Jermaine later and he was like, what? 
You could have totally done that tour. He's like, that would have been uh, that would have been a plus for the whole record and everything. Yeah. Oh, man. We got to stop there, man. I know you have to go. Thank you, John, so much for your time. We have to do part two. So I'll be reaching out to you to find, find out your schedule. Tell me what's going on this weekend, what you have going on this weekend. Man, we've media. got the jazz festival here. So I've been preparing. I'm doing a Marvin Gaye tribute Saturday night here. Um, really cool. The cat that's singing, he, Chase Stevens, he looks and sounds just like Marvin. Yeah. So I got the crew playing with us. And um, then Monday, I'm doing uh, 7 o'clock p.m. Um, with um, a lady named, um, oh, my God, Kathleen Bertrand. Okay. So we're playing right before um, um, Kenny Barron. Kenny Barron's okay. playing. But Herbie's playing Saturday night. Oof. Herbie's playing at like 9 o'clock. And then after Herbie's show, our show is in Park Tavern. At Saturday 10 night. o'clock, yeah. Mm-hmm. See, my wife, I'm going to try to bring her out there to come see that she loves Marvin Gaye. Oh, man, yeah, come on. All right, man. Thank you so much. What's your, uh, your social media? Shout that out. All at Lil John Roberts. L-I-L-J-O-H-M Roberts. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much. This is part one, right? You promise we're gonna do part two later. I got you. I'm All going. Right. I'm going to see Kenny Garrett now. He's playing okay. tonight. Thank you yeah. so much for taking time out of your schedule, man. I'm here with the legend, man. Thank you for sitting down with me, and we're gonna do part two soon. Pleasure, man. Thanks, bro. Thank you, my guy. Talk to you soon. Yes, uh, sir. All of my, all of my uh, people that have tuned in tonight, thank you so much for taking time out of your Thursday evening to rock with us. It was truly my honor to sit with little John Roberts. The man has done. We haven't even touched. We just scratched the surface of what he's accomplished. Um, We're going to do part two and hear the rest of his story. Thank you so much for coming out and rocking with us. Uh, Please subscribe to the page. The content will be available on audio podcast outlets tomorrow. Uh, That is iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It'll be available on YouTube and also for Facebook Live for you to review. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Bridge Parker. <laughs> Bridge Parker and <laughs> Bags. Um, I'm speaking into existence. So Bridge Parker is my first sponsor. So uh, fellas, if you need a, a bag for your wife, go check out BridgeParker.com. Uh, every look needs a bag. Did I do it right, babe? I hope I did. All right. Uh, our next show will be coming up, and we have an amazing guest coming up. Super producer Troy Oliver from Connecticut by way of Atlanta now will be here on June 8th, and we will be interviewing him. He has worked with J Lo, Chris Brown, Pop Smoke, Trey Songs. He is a super producer. He's from my home state, and he's going to come on and tell his story. He's going to help us get in the pocket, help us find our groove. Tell us his story on how he came from New Haven, Connecticut to, to superstardom. So thank you for this opportunity. Check in on June 8th and uh, support the pod. Share, like, share, and repost. And I'm grateful for this opportunity. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Continue to stay in the pocket. Find your groove. Find your niche. This is your boy, Chip G. Signing out. Thanks.